Welcome to Madison Church Online. My name is Stephen, and I believe that every person who has ever lived, every person in the history of the world who's ever lived, has had something that they don't like about themselves. You and I are no different. There are things about ourselves that we just do not like. We all kind of have a mental model, if you will, of who we should be or how we should be. And many of us, if we are being honest, we're not living up to the mental model that we set out for ourselves. We all have a, what I'm going to call a I wish I was statement. Every single person has a I wish I was statement. For me, it was that I wish I was bigger, stronger, and faster. As a kid, I loved football and playing catch with my dad in the backyard. Those are some of my favorite memories growing up. I loved playing football games on my N64. I was the weirdest 10-year-old in the world because I liked to play the franchise mode, which is where you're the general manager of the team and making roster moves, cuts and trades and drafting. I just love that sort of thing. And when I was finally old enough to play football with my peers at school, I did. And I loved it. When people would ask me, Stephen, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what, what do you want to go to college for? What do you want to study? I would tell them, I want to play football. And that drove my mom nuts that I had absolutely no academic interest. I just wanted to play football. My first year in football, I was, um, it was in seventh grade. And I was about five foot two. So I was kind of average for seventh grade. And they had me play cornerback, which is somebody that is on the outside of the defense, kind of smaller, faster guy. And then in eighth grade, a year later, my second year, I was uh, five foot six. And because I, I grew so much, they actually moved me closer into the defense as an outside linebacker, somebody who was still not one of the bigger guys on the defense, but bigger than, mo bigger than some and expected to run up and make tackles. My third year of football in ninth grade, I really grew. I was five foot ten, and I was an outside linebacker, and I was very, very good at outside linebacker because now I was taller and bigger than a lot of my peers. Now, in case you're wondering, how tall are you today, Stephen? I'm still five foot ten. I have not grown in nearly twenty years. That was wildly disappointing because in my last physical, they said, well, according to our growth chart, those little height charts that they give you, they said that I was going to be like six foot four. And I thought six foot four with my football IQ and my passion for the game, like I could actually play professional football someday. But my physique just never came around to that. My body had a different idea for what we were going to do the rest of our lives. And I knew that my career as a football player was over when in the span of just six days I had a severe concussion. I sprained two vertebrae in my neck. I sprained my right ankle and I broke my left ankle. Again, in just a matter of six days playing football, I wish I was bigger, faster, stronger, and I wish I was playing football for the Green Bay Packers or really anyone because at 32 I'd be pretty close to retiring right now. But what about you? Enough about me. What about you? What is your I wish I was? You wish you were what? Fill in the blank for us. If you're watching or listening with someone, just lean over and tell them I wish I was. And if you're in our chat room, go ahead and let us know in the chat. I wish I was what? Looking forward to seeing what you guys put out there. Now, 
I bet that most of our I wish I was statements are more serious than what we just talked about. It's more serious than being bigger, faster, and stronger to play football. And it's more serious than what you leaned over and told someone. It's more serious than uh, what you put in the chat room. We say things like, I wish my career was up here. I wish my relationships were up here. I wish my fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is, was up here. And what happens is when our expectations are up here and reality is down here, all of this space, the space between our expectations and what we hoped for, what we wished for, well, the space is called anxiety. The space is called anxiety. And in, it's in that space that our minds inside of our head are constantly critiquing us. It's constantly critiquing you and me. I wish my career was up here. And our mind says, well, you're not good enough. You're not good enough for a career way up here. We say, I wish my relationships were way up here. And the mind says, well, what's the matter with you? We wish fill in the blank was of right up here. And our minds say, why aren't you able to change that? How often do you have these serious kinds of thoughts? I should just point out that we all have those thoughts. Feeling anxious is part of what it means to be a human being. But how often that we feel anxiety, how often and to what degree might be an issue? How often and to what degree we feel anxiety might be an issue? It's estimated that 46.6 million American adults acknowledge that they struggle with a mental health issue. That's one in five Americans. And that was done before the pandemic, that study. I can't imagine what it is now. But since March, the percentage of adults has jumped up to 33% saying that COVID-19 has had a serious impact on their mental health. Can you relate to that? Has COVID-19 had a serious impact? Uh, impact on your mental health. The CDC reports that 25% of young adults have had suicidal thoughts since the pandemic started. One out of four young adults have thought about suicide. And in a survey that was done last year uh, just with pastors, they said that their emotional well-being was 10 times, 10 times worse now than it was two years ago. Now, all of those stats, it's very important to remember they're people. Those percentages, those numbers, they represent people. They represent your friends and family. Perhaps they represent somebody you're sitting by right now. Perhaps they represent you. That feeling of worry and nervousness and unease, now that's something that we all know personally. And it's quite normative for many people. We feel anxious about all sorts of things, maybe small things like, am I going to have enough gas to get home? I'm somebody who likes to run the tank as low as I can get it before I fill it up and it drives mega nuts. But uh, small stuff like that. How about medium stuff? Like, uh, am I going to make a fool out of myself during this talk? Am I going to make myself seem like an idiot? Am I going to present well tonight? We also have anxiety about big stuff like, am I going to be able to provide for my family if I can't go back to work? Are we going to be okay if we get sick with COVID-19? We have big anxieties too. 
now managing anxiety is something that every single one of us, we have to learn how to do. We have anxiety, so learning how to manage it is very important. But there comes a time, and there may come a time in your life, and that time may already be here, but there comes a time when our management skills of our anxiety just aren't good enough. It's just not enough, and that's not your fault, and it's not my fault. But at some point, the anxieties of our life become so much that we need new tools. We need more information. We need somebody to come alongside us and help. And that's why today we're starting a series called Mind Matters. We're going to specifically for the next month address issues about mental health because your mind matters. The topic of mental health is a very, very real point of pain for many people. If you yourself are not struggling with mental illness, somebody you're close to and love is. This topic is very relevant for every single person watching, listening, and joining us right now. And yet at the same time, we saw the statistics, the percentages. We say it's important to talk about, and yet we just don't. And I believe that this is especially true inside the church, which is why I wanted to do this series. It's why I'm passionate about doing this series, because I want to talk to you, Madison Church, or guests of Madison Church, about mental health. It's time that we break the silence that so often comes around mental illness. I want to remove any stigma around talking about mental health. And finally, I'd like to confirm that God wants to bring healing to your body and spirit, but also to your mind, holistic health. And so we're going to do our best the next few weeks to absolutely confront this topic of mental health. And every week of the study, we're going to interview a real mental health professional. I will talk about some of the spiritual stuff, the faith side. What does the Bible say about mental health? But every week we'll bring in a professional, a counselor, a therapist to talk about different issues. In three weeks, we'll talk about suicide. And next week, we'll talk about depression. And today, we're going to talk about anxiety. Now, some of you uh, might be thinking, oh, I didn't realize that mental health is part of my spiritual well-being. I mean, why are we talking about this in church? Your mental health is absolutely part of your spiritual health. You and I, as people, we cannot separate ourselves into different categories. We can't say, well, here's my mental health, and here's my physical health, and here's my spiritual health, and we can't go, my mental health is here, my physical health is here, my spiritual health is here. Rather, as holistic beings, it's like, Everything is here. And what happens to one affects the other. For example, if we're so, so depressed that we cannot get out of bed, that we can't leave our homes, our physical and spiritual health are going to suffer as well. It's not just our mind that's depressed. It's our body and spirit that will also pay the consequences. Now, if we're active and we exercise enough and we're physically we're feeling great, our mental and spiritual health are also going to benefit from that. If we neglect our spiritual lives, our spiritual selves, you can be doing everything correct mentally and physically and still feel like something's missing, still feel like something is wrong in your life. And this isn't just something that I'm talking about today, but it's something that Jesus talked about as well. 
He says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, a verse I'm sure many of you are familiar with. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. You've probably heard that before. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. But what you may not know, and this is interesting, is that Jesus is actually doing a little bit of a wordplay here that uh, unless you know the Old Testament really well, like we're going to miss out on. He is actually quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, which everyone listening in Jesus' society, his Jewish audience and culture, they would have known the Shema by heart because that was a prayer. The Shema is a prayer that the Jewish people would pray in the morning and at night and during their worship services. Now, in Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema starts with, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, beginning to sound familiar, right? And all of your strength. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Now, I can't imagine a scenario in which Jesus, now being quoted in Matthew, who at the age of 12 would have had the entire Old Testament memorized, would accidentally replace the word strength with mind. I just don't imagine that that was an accident. Rather, what I believe is that Jesus intentionally swaps out the word strength with mind. He takes a prayer that those people are very familiar with, and he takes out strength, and he puts in your mind. And he does this because he is saying, I, I want your whole self, your spirit, your body, and your mind. Jesus is very concerned about that. Mental illness can be compared, I think, to a lot of physical illnesses. Physical illness, for example, can be something as little or as small as a cold and as big and as serious as cancer. Both are physical illnesses, but how we respond to a cold and how we respond to cancer are completely different. If we have a cold, we drink some water, we sleep a lot, and in a couple of days, we're going to feel better. We're going to be right back at it. But cancer requires an appointment with an oncologist. Chances are several appointments, and perhaps it may result in chemotherapy and months and months, if not years, of battling cancer. A cold will cause you to not feel well for a season, a short season. But a cancer is potentially life-threatening. So we have physical illnesses, and, and I do believe that we can compare, to, compare them to mental illnesses, whereas it's like feeling overly anxious about an event or something going on in your life from time to time and occasionally isn't a very big deal. It, it happens to every single one of us. It's one thing. But not being able to eat or sleep because you're so anxious about everything, well, that's an entirely different thing. You have a cold, you have cancer, a little bit of anxiety, and a lot of anxiety. Mild anxiety, might you might just need a nap. You might just need a weekend away. You just need a break. But major anxiety is not going to go away with a Saturday off. Major anxiety will require more help like cancer requires more help. And with these things in mind, as I mentioned, we're going to interview a different mental health professional every single week. And so we're going to talk with uh, Elizabeth Meehan about anxiety today.
Well, I have with me today psychotherapist Elizabeth Meehan. And Elizabeth isn't just a psychotherapist, but she is also our bookkeeper at Madison Church. And she's a former missionary to Ethiopia. And so kind of what don't you do, Elizabeth? But today we want to talk to you specifically about uh, your skills and your expertise as a therapist. We're in the series called Mind Matters. And we're tackling the issue or trying to tackle the issue of mental health, mental wellness, mental illness. And so this week we're talking about anxiety, next week depression, and a few weeks we're going to talk about suicide. So some very heavy topics um, that we're putting out there. Um, So I just want to say thank you for joining us and lending us your expertise. I'm going to just jump right into this first question um, that I think I've I've been thinking a lot about, because I think there are a couple people or a couple types of people, which is like maybe some people who really need counseling or really need some sort of help. They, they have an issue with their anxiety, but they don't realize it. Or maybe somebody doesn't and it is manageable, but they think that it's really bad. And so I, we all struggle with anxiety, but when will somebody know that anxiety becomes a problem? Yeah, we do all struggle with anxiety. I'm glad you you noted that. Um, everybody has it. There's a reason for that. Um, our body has this natural response to perceived danger, and that's an anxious response. When it becomes a problem is when it starts to interfere with our everyday life, when it stops us from living our life to the fullest, and when it stops us from accomplishing the things that we really want to accomplish. Wow. Um yeah, that's uh, that sounds like me. Uh, but I, I'm sharing my story a little bit in the message today about my walk uh, with anxiety. Uh, a similar question, to what I just asked, but perhaps geared more towards somebody who doesn't have a problem, like right now. Is there a dashboard? I mean, and a dashboard like in the sense of a car that tells us how much gas we have, how fast we're going, check engine light. Is there a dashboard that? people have to know when maybe anxiety is becoming an issue? You know, I'm not sure it's something naturally built in for people. I think when, what I've noticed with clients is when they start to feel just overwhelmed by it, like it consumes more of their day than joy consumes or stops them from being able to get in the car to go to work, stops them from being able to enjoy time with their children. Really kind of, again, it's when it gets in the way of living your best life and stops you from performing the tasks that you've normally been able to do. So when it gets in the way of those things, then we notice, okay, here's a problem. Maybe we need to work towards some change. Okay. So yeah, it, they notice that they're worrying a lot, that they're kind of maybe obsessing over some things, which kind of gets us into this realm of going into the next question, which is there are different types of anxieties. It's not just a general anxiety, but something that I think is becoming more well-known in society, but still maybe not um, that everybody knows. It's something like PTSD, Mm -hmm. It's something that isn't just war veterans can experience. It's something that um, our neighbors, our coworkers, or perhaps somebody listening or watching right now might have. Would you explain kind of maybe some of the different types of anxieties people have? There is generalized anxiety disorder, which I feel like most people who have kind of a crippling anxiety fall under for a diagnosis. Post-traumatic stress disorder is something that occurs 
relatively in a relatively short amount of time after a majorly traumatic event. Um, there are also some panic disorders, which are related to generalized anxiety disorder. So when you're talking about symptoms, racing thoughts, things that you just can't get a hold of, they take over, um, kind of this hypervigilance that often comes with post-traumatic stress disorder. We're looking for that trauma again to come up in our life. Um, Excessive worry and fear is probably more like that generalized anxiety disorder, rapid heart rate, out of control breathing. These are things that come with panic disorders. So really all of them are related, um, but are different diagnoses that can fit underneath anxiety. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned it. And this wasn't one of the questions that we had prepared for, but in thinking about this whole series and, and talking about how like mental issues are health issues, physical issues and spiritual issues. And, you know, you are a, a therapist and um, you were a missionary. And so how do you see in your line of work with kind of your faith, how do you see anxiety affecting someone's spiritual life? Well, that's a really good question. I think a lot of anxiety comes from a place of guilt and shame people have this sense of guilt or this sense that they've done something wrong, or they have this sense of shame, this sense that they, that they are something wrong. There's something wrong with them. And a lot of people who were raised in a faith community seem to think that there's something edifying about guilt and shame. And just in my studies of the scriptures, I find nothing in there where God tells us there's anything good that comes from shame. And so I work with clients to really separate from that because I think a lot of anxiety, a lot of self-loathing, a lot of the whole, you know, your title, I don't like myself, um, comes from that sense of guilt and shame. And I think that's where the spiritual battle comes into play most often how I see it. Yeah. Wow. No, that's good. And and you're talking about some of the causes. It, it, it's kind of like conditioned and growing up in, in maybe a certain church or um, how your parents dealt with it. Um, what do you think are, or, or what are the causes um, and underlying issues for anxiety disorders uh, outside of the church? Yeah, probably the most common thing we see is trauma, that there's something in the life that kicked off this response that is an over-dramatized response to a perceived fear. Our brain responds as though we're in a life-threatening situation when really we're not in a life-threatening situation. And so our emotions and our thoughts and even our bodily reaction gets out of control to something that is not life-threatening, but that's how our body responds to it. And so usually, you know, we can trace that back to some trauma that's happened. Not always. I think you bring up an interesting point. Sometimes it is a learned behavior. This is how a parent responded to stressors or anxiety. Like we all have stress, especially this year. It's been a rough one. We've seen a huge uptick in anxiety right. in, in clients. Um, but it's whether or not we have that over-the-top reaction that gets away with us that we just can no longer live with. Right. And then going back to some of those symptoms that we talked about, the physical symptoms. Um, so somebody's watching right now or listening and they're, they're beginning to think, man, they're, they're talking and that kind of, that sounds like me. And perhaps this is all new to them. And it's, it's, it's since the pandemic and um, a general election, which is very contentious and a, a lot of things going on in life. Now, is there a progression in which to seek out help? Or are we talking about like, Hey, I have anxiety. I need to go see a therapist three times a week. I need to get on like some big medicine and my whole life's going to be upended. Or is there a progression and steps that people can take? Yeah, I think that there can be a progression. So sometimes, you know, I'm a therapist. So naturally I'm going to say, 
call a therapist. No therapist goes to see you three times a week unless it's a life-threatening situation that the therapist determines the life-threatening <laughs> situation. Um, but, you know, I do think that there's a time and a place to talk to a friend as well, to reach out to someone. We, we all know people who've had anxiety or who've struggled with that, who may have great thought processes to help us with this. There's a lot of great coping skills out there for anxiety that don't require a professional. Um, talking to a primary care provider, your physician is a great option. They might be able to help you identify whether or not it's time to try some kind of medication or reach out to a therapist. They can make that referral for you. Uh, talking to a minister is always a great first step. Ministers typically are pretty well trained on how to recognize when something is outside of their scope and to refer to outside services as well. Yeah, so I, I, I would start with a friend or a family member, somebody you trust and kind of work your way up from there. I like that. I, and I think that when people do come to me, it, it, it's pretty obvious within the first maybe three minutes of talking with them. If this is something I know that I'm going to be able to help them with. And other times it's like, no, here are some of the local um, places that are going to be able to help you. But it definitely, I think that if you are watching or listening and you, you're starting to maybe come around to this idea that your dashboard's going off, you have these symptoms, maybe I have anxiety, you know, perhaps it is time to talk to a friend. Um, you know, as Elizabeth said, even your, your doctor would be a great place to start when you go into that um, annual checkup. Uh, now, somebody might be watching or listening, and they know that they have anxiety, or they know that they don't. They're like, they're pretty sure where they're at. But they're thinking of a friend, a family member, perhaps a spouse, um, a child, somebody that they know, somebody that they love who is struggling with anxiety, but maybe they're not recognizing it. When they recognize it, the person recognizes it in someone else who doesn't. What advice would you give to somebody who wants to help a friend or family member, somebody that they love um, who might have anxiety? Yeah, I think having some simple information, even as simple as what we've shared here today, as far as what some of those symptoms are, when we know it becomes a problem, and just having a gentle conversation with that loved one to say, hey, you know, I've noticed that something seems to be going on. Could we talk a little bit about that? Sometimes all somebody needs is a hand reaching out to them to open that door up and make it more comfortable for them to talk about what's bothering them. Yeah, I like that. And that concept of just like gently doing it, you know, um, somebody who is um, dealing with anxiety doesn't need us to come and kick their door down and be one other thing that they have to worry about. But it is nice, I, I think, too, that when we do do this, and, and I am speaking as a pastor, but also like when we do have people in our life who reach out to us, it helps us feel like we're seen. And if something was going on in my life and I was being weird and somebody took notice of that and asked me about it, I'd be really grateful. And even if I didn't want to talk to them about it, I, and I would tell them that <laughs> I don't want to talk to you about this, but I'd be very grateful that somebody noticed and, um, is there anything that you'd want to say directly to the people who are watching or listening right now who have anxiety, anything that we haven't asked or talked about? I think I just want to add to the guilt and shame comment. There's no shame in having anxiety. We do all experience it to different levels at different times in our lives. And talking to a professional, I know that there's still kind of a stigma out there about that. Uh, we're pretty helpful. <laughs> yeah. 
open that door. All we want to do is help you make your life better. There's no judgment. It's a safe place. Um, a physician would be the same way. A pastor would be the same way. Shoot, most friends and family members would be the same way as well. And so don't hesitate to reach out and say, hey, I think I need some help with this. We've all been there with something in our lifetime. There's no reason to have shame over that. That then stops you from living living your best life. God, God certainly never said life would be easy once we become Christians, but he also doesn't want us to sit in suffering every day. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm praying and believing that this series and these different talks are going to be able to really help a lot of people who um, maybe like what we talked about, grew up in or around the church, have some of this guilt and shame surrounded about it. There is a stigma talking about it. So I hope that by us talking about it in our church, we're at least able in our community to start to dismantle that. So thank you again so much. And so I'm here to tell you right now that as your pastor, that there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, I think anxiety is getting the better of me. You know, I think that I'm anxious a lot and I might, I might need some help. And maybe that's talking to a friend, talking to your doctor, talking to a therapist regularly, getting on medicine. Likely it's probably a combination of all of those things. But it doesn't mean that you have a lack of faith. It doesn't mean that you don't trust God good enough. And it definitely does not mean that there's something wrong with you. It just means that you need help. As we wrap this up, I'm, I'm going to have one challenge for all of you. The slide, a slide is going to come up with different local resources. And I'm going to leave the slide up for a moment because I want you to screenshot it. If you're watching on your phone or on a tablet, that should be pretty simple. If you're not sure how to screenshot, uh, call for a young person in your room or in vicinity. They will be able to show you. Otherwise, we'll also have this screen up at the end of our time today. But I want you to screenshot it because it has different local areas, um, local businesses, and therapists who will be able to help you. Mental health centers. It's time to say, perhaps for you, your dashboard's going off, as Betsy and I talked about. Your dashboard is just going crazy. And you keep thinking, it's going to get better, it's going to get better, but it's not. And it's affecting the way you sleep, or it's affecting the way that you eat, it's affecting your relationships, it's affecting your job. It's time to stop trying to be a hero. And it's time to just be real and authentic. And maybe first with yourself, but then to those around you. And to say, I need help. And that's okay. Would you reach out to one of these great local options for resources? For the first time, perhaps, in your life, you're becoming aware that love isn't that you love God first, but love is that God loved you first. And I want you to begin to train your mind to tell yourself this truth about how God loves you. When your career isn't what you want it to be, when your relationships aren't what you want it to be, and, or fill in the blank or whatever, and, and we're down here and all of this anxiety, I want you to tell your mind to quiet and to remind yourself that God has always loved you. He revealed it through his son, Jesus. And that this great love, the great truth of this love is that he loved us first. Before we took a breath, before we were able to do anything, he did that for us. And so when your mind starts to ask, what's the matter with you? When your mind begins to lie to you and says that you're not good enough. When your mind begins to deceive you and said that you really need to change this or that about you. Would you let Jesus 
Would you let God reveal to you just how much he loves you as you are and not as you should be? And that his perfect love is never changing because it's never lacking. He will love you the same today as he does tomorrow and next week and next year.